As I mentioned last week, we have Reverend Scott Sauls as our guest preacher today. He is preaching through the Psalms of Ascent at his church, Christ Pres, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the Psalms of Ascent, these are um, what the ancient church sang. They sang these psalms with great longing. Three times a year as they returned to Jerusalem and ascended up the road, the winding road leading to the worship service at the temple. These are psalms that are very fitting for us as we long to return to worship together. I will be back in the pulpit next week as we finish up our sermon series on Colossians titled Walking in Faithfulness. Good morning. My name is Mallory. I'm on the kids team and I'm so glad to read today's scripture from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Um, this is our second sermon on the Psalms of Ascent. We began uh, last week with Psalm 120. And Psalm 120 actually articulates the effect of looking down of focusing, of fixating on the fallen world in which we live. And you, you might remember if you dialed into that sermon that the psalmist just kicks off this whole series of songs by saying he's in distress, uh, by saying things like people hate peace and people love war. And here in the 121st Psalm, which is this week's focus, we get the effect of looking up. Last week was looking down. This week is the effect of looking up. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. And, and in the hills, he says, there is help. My help comes from the Lord, uh, who's presumably in the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, now the context of that statement is that every, uh, every several months, three times a year, the people of Israel would ascend up the hill uh, together to the temple. Uh, in Jerusalem, which was located on a hill. And that, that temple represented the presence of, of God's people, the comfort and welcome of God's people, as well as the presence and favor of God. Lift my eyes to the hills. That's where my help comes from. It comes from the community of God, and it comes from God himself. But also, as he's looking up, he sees more trouble. He discerns that the pathway to God... Uh, also includes many dangers, toils, and snares through which we must travel in order to arrive in his presence. This is a literal psalm about literally climbing a hill, but it's also metaphor for the whole of life in Christ. You know, Eugene Peterson <clears throat> said this. He said, if you think being a Christian means that your troubles are over, you're wrong. No literature is more realistic and honest in facing the harsh facts of life than the Bible. At no time is there 
the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties. What it promises is preservation from all the evil in them. Faith encounters trouble. And the best songs, especially the best songs of faith, account for this. That faith encounters troubles. The, the, the Psalms themselves, which is the, the prototypical hymn book for the people of God. We talked about this before. The full range of human emotion, the full range of human experience, from jubilation to, to sorrow, from, from, from laughter to, to deep tears, from, from, from intimacy and unity and warmth to, to anger and outrage. It's all in there. And it's all put out for us on display and for our participation as human beings. This is true especially uh, the lament part, uh, the encountering troubles in our faith part, uh, in the music of the historic black church. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Daly, David Bailey. Uh, he is from Rich, Richmond, Virginia. He's African American. He founded a group uh, called Arabon, and that's, a, that's uh, an intercultural uh, group designed uh, and 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 uh, you know that exists to bring people from different perspectives and races and economic situations together in community. David is also the founder of Urban Doxology, which is a collective of of musicians uh, writing songs for the church, taking into account the urban experience, especially urban pain. There's just an interview done with David in Christianity Today, and the interview was titled Singing the Songs of Injustice. And of course, this, this uh, is uh, addressing uh, the things that are going on in culture right now that have been brought to the surface with respect to black pain. One of the things David says is that God has given us the Psalms to be what he calls an anger school. The Psalms invite us to be angry. They invite us to be sad. They invite us to name the dangers and the toils and the snares of life in a fallen world. He goes on and he says, in this anger school, when we skip class, in other words, when we skip past the, the jarring parts of scripture when we skip past that and look for the the happy cheery stuff and just kind of latch on to the happy cheery stuff he says that we aren't emotionally equipped then to deal with difficult things like we are experiencing now until we're able to immerse ourselves in all of the human experiences expressed through the psalms the negro spirituals we're all about pain, lament, and cries for deliverance and, and, and looking forward to heaven and to glory. Many of our cherished hymns here at Christ Presbyterian were, were, were written, and, and these are the ones that have stood the, step, the test of time, were written uh, in a world without antibiotics, without vaccines, with, with higher mortality rates, and all the rest. We sing here in our sanctuary about a joy that seekest me through pain that was written by a blind man who was all alone in the world. We sing in here about this world with devils filled that threatens to undo us that was written by a man under severe persecution. 
We sing about sorrows that, like sea billows roll, written by a man who was bereaved, who had just lost all three of his daughters in an accident at sea. And we've sung this morning about many dangers, toils, and snares through which we must travel. And that was written by a man still dealing with the guilt and shame of having been a slave trader. I could go on, but I need to get to the outline because eventually we all need to get back home today. The outline is this, honest songs, hopeful songs, because of bad things that happened to a good person. So let's start with honest songs. All through the Psalms, we see the truth spoken and sung about the harsh facts of life. Cries to God, we're vulnerable, we're afraid, our our enemies, visible and invisible, our enemies are are assaulting us. Our own hearts aren't cooperating with, with who we ought to be. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And, and this act of lifting one's eyes to the hills that the psalmist writes about, this is actually an act of courage because even though God is in the hills, there's also troubles in the hills. There's also trouble in the hills. And the trouble is represented by two very real-life images that the psalmist points out, the sun and the moon. There's first the threat of the sun. The sun represents... Uh, blistering heat, prolonged exposure. When they hiked this hill in the Middle Eastern heat, there was no shade, there weren't a lot of trees, and so it was essentially them and their children and their elderly hiking up the hill in the 115 degree heat to get to the place of God and the people of God. And they did this three times a year. Of course, exposure to potential sunburn, dehydration, exhaustion, and we know this, the, the, the more direct exposure we get to a blistering sun, the more, more vulnerable we are. And this, this is illustrated in the, the Greek myth of, of Icarus. You know, it's not just an Iron Maiden song. You know, you, you, uh, you uh, sort of thrashing heavy metal fans, the flight of Icarus being, you know, the, the, no, the, the, the flight of Icarus comes from the story of Icarus. He and his father wanted to escape Crete because Crete was a violent place. And so what what his father does is he creates wings for Icarus to fly away. And he makes those wings out of wax and feathers. And he says to Icarus, if you are passive, if you don't use these wings, you will drown. You'll fall into the ocean and you will drown. You have to to get moving. Just like we have to get moving uh, in order to fly, in order to soar, in order to... Um, get through this world with devils filled that threatens to undo us and, and, and find our sanctuary with God. We have to have an active faith, fully present with God every week, fully present with Jesus every day, Deep in, deeply in community with the people of God, inviting others who are outside of the community of God into the community of God, supporting the church with, in its worship and work to the best of your ability, you know, be, being a, a light wherever you are, where you live, work, and play. These are practices that represent flying well, using the, the, the wings that we have been given so as not to fall into the ocean and drown. These are the recipe for health. In and outside of a pandemic, these are the practices God has entrusted to us to enable us to fly. But he says, on the other hand, let's say you're, you're the very opposite of passive, 
but for a prideful reason. Let's say that you get ambitious, young Icarus, and you want to touch the sun. And so you use those wings and you get too close. What's going to happen to wings made out of wax and feathers is it's go- the, the wings are going to melt and the feathers are going to burn and you're going to fall to your death. And that's precisely what happened in this tragic myth that's not actually a myth. Pride goes for a, before a fall in every situation. So there's the threat of the sun. There's also the threat of the moon. They had to walk up this hill at night in the dark with no street lights, uh, nothing to illuminate their path except the very little that they could see in front of them with whatever candles they might have been carrying. You know, one, of, uh, one of my favorite children's book is, books uh, is one of my favorites because it was our children's favorites, our daughter's favorite. Um, and uh, I, I, can go, I can recite the whole book by memory. I want to see how many of you know what book it is. It starts out, in the great green room there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. Anybody know what book that was? Goodnight Moon. And there's a line in Goodnight Moon that says, I see the moon and the moon sees me. God bless the moon and God bless me. It sounds so sweet, doesn't it? Ancient Jews had a very different outlook on the moon. The moon was a very threatening thing. It had an emotional effect, seasonal affective disorder. It, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's why we feel more depressed in February than we do in, in August uh, or September because we're, we're stuck inside and it's dark and gloomy outside and, and, and there's less exposure to the sun and a lack of exposure, prolonged lack of exposure to the sun. This is the irony about the sun being a threat. It's also your life. You have to have the sun in order to become less vulnerable to depression. You know, the word lunatic comes from the, the, the Latin word luna, which means moon. You ever heard the concept of being moonstruck? Being moonstruck is being mentally deranged. We go crazy in the absence of light, eventually. So there's the emotional effect of the moon, but there's also the danger of the dark that they had to contend with. Up in those hills were wild beasts that liked to eat other creatures, including humans. And up in those hills were muggers, people that would maraud you, people that would uh, uh, perpetrate violence against you and take your stuff and leave you for dead like the man was left for dead in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was a regular reality muggings with no law enforcement up there either the danger also that they had to contend with was the danger of their own hearts because up on the hill was the temple of god but also up on the hill was the temple of all the canaanite false gods and the prostitute cults and those 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 canaanite temples that that made big promises and the prostitute cults that 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 appealed to the flesh and to the immediate and to now said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Whereas the, the temple of God uh, was saying something more like what Nietzsche and then later Eugene Peterson popularized. No, no, this life with God and, and the flourishing life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's being faithful to the next thing. In the good times and the bad times, in the easy times and the smooth times and the hard times, in the wealthy times and in the the impoverished times, it's doing this the next faithful thing. Like you did by 
showing up in a pandemic. And like our team did by saying, well, if they do show up, by golly, we're going to do everything we can to keep everybody safe and protected from what's going on in the world. The next faithful thing. I don't know about you, but I fear heights. And so this image of looking up, this image of the hill, I, I, I fear heights. There's this old, you know, kind of B-grade Mel Brooks movie called High Anxiety. Anybody old enough to remember that dumb movie? So, so there's, this, there's this song, the theme song. The, 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 the crescendo of this song is where Mel Brooks, who's afraid of heights, says, sings, High Anxiety, You Win. High Anxiety. And so that's my experience on New York roof decks. Whenever there was a roof deck party, there was a part of me that was like, oh, great views, but oh, no, uh, death-defying. I don't know what it is about New York roof decks, but for whatever reason, that the protective uh, gate around a New York roof deck that's about three or four football fields above the concrete with gravity above is about this high. It's about this high. It's lower than my waist. Uh, I have walked the Natchez Trace Bridge one time, and it is the last time I will ever walk that bridge. And in both instances, you've you've got glory. In New York, you've got the, the, the greatest view of a breathtaking city. And in Nashville, you've got the greatest view of breathtaking landscape in either direction. It's popularly known as one of the greatest views in all of Nashville on the Natchez Bridge. You could also lose your life there pretty easily. If just one thing up there went wrong, you could lose your life there pretty easily. The closer you are to glory, the more vulnerable you're going to be. Though this world with devils filled will threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Honest songs, but also hopeful ones. God is in the hills. You can't get to God without the ascent. You can't get to God without using your wings. But he's there in the hills, and he's bigger than any threat that you will find there. My help comes from the Lord, the psalmist says, who made heaven and earth, which means he made these hills. He made the sun. He made the moon. And he made us. God bless the moon. God bless me. In a recent sermon that we did at our Christ Pres um, locations, we talked about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. Uh, and one of our conclusions from that sermon was that it is safer, it is much safer to be out in a storm at sea, in a hurricane at sea, with Jesus in the boat, than it is to be on land in a storm shelter. It's actually safer to be out on the boat with Jesus than it is to be on land without Jesus in the storm shelter. Eugene Peterson says this, It's a great reference for for that particular incident with Jesus and the disciples. He says, all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a single ship unless the water gets inside the ship. In the same way, he says, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us 
unless the trouble gets inside of us. Now, the Lord, whenever you read in your English translation, the Lord, especially from the Old Testament, it's, trans, it, it's translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the special name for God, meaning he's the God of covenant. He's the God of faithfulness. He's the God who does and who will come through even when you don't. He's the God who will be strong on your behalf when you have nothing left to give. He's the God who will neither slumber nor sleep when you fall to the ground exhausted. He will stay true to us through thick and thin. He will stay true to us in the best of times and the worst of times. So whenever you read the word Lord, Yahweh, that's what it means. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. For your Savior loves you so. He will hold you fast. You know, the word that is repeated six times in this psalm is the word shamar, which is translated keeper or a guardian who watches over or a guardian who is always attentive to ensure the care of those that he's protecting. You know, Alexander the Great was said to have slept like a rock. He slept like a rock. And it made people wonder how on earth does a man in his position, with his responsibilities, with all the enemies that he has and all the stresses and all the battles, how on earth does Alexander the Great sleep like a rock? And he was once asked that question and he answered, well, it's because of Parmenio. Parmenio was his guard his faithful, strong guard that you didn't mess with, who neither slumbered nor slept when Alexander did. And James Montgomery Boyce says, how much more when it's the maker of the hills that neither slumbers nor sleeps when we have nothing left to give and no more currency to spend He's the shade at our right hand. Even Icarus can get two inches away from the sun and not be melted and not be burned if Icarus is sheltered by the Lord who is the shade at your right hand. Boyce goes on to point out from verses 7 and 8 that, that, that the Lord is our protector always. Especially from the world inside of us. You may be familiar with Romans chapter 7. This is, this is Paul's confession. It's his self-disclosure saying, I'm a wretched man. I'm a, I'm a coveter. I'm not a good man. Yeah, you call me apostle. Yeah, I'm writing all these letters that, that will become the Bible one day, but I'm fundamentally in my core flawed broken, behind where I ought to be, not what I ought to be. I covet. I want things that don't belong to me way too much. And I'm unthankful for things that I do have way too much. So he's dealing with distress on the world inside of him. And then, then Romans 8 comes right after Romans 7 and he talks about the distress that comes from the outside of him. 
The whole creation groans, Paul says. The whole creation groans. Last year, to me, that just meant weeds in your yard. This year, to me, it means the universe is going to say, nope, you're not going to be able to do your job. You can bust your chops. You can work as hard as you can, and nobody's going to freaking show up for 12 weeks because the universe says. And then you're going to have to put face coverings on them when they do come back and do all kinds of other irritating things. You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. That's what the universe says. But then Paul speaks back to the universe using words that we can use too. And I don't know what your version of that is, Uh, I know everybody in here has got a version of the story I just told about my own experience. You've got your work, you've got your kids, you've got your education. Many of you, you you finished school at home. You finished college at home and high school at home. I'm like, what the heck? Here's what Paul says to the universe, and we can say the same. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a man who spent a lot of his life in jail, by the way. It's a man who got martyred for his faith. It was a man who got beaten regularly to a pulp because of his faith. It's a man who lived alone. It's a man who lost all of his childhood friends, and so on. God is for us who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword? We are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Selah. End of statement. Beginning of your future. Our problems are bigger than we are. Maybe this is just one of those seasons that is harshly and brutally reminding us of that fact that we are no match for our problems. But our problems are no match for God. Let's think about the sun and the moon for a second. Let's think about the eighth psalm where it says, when I consider the heavens, when I look up, when I see the moon, when I see the stars, when I see the sun, which is a star, A very weak star among the stars, actually. He says, when I consider them, I consider that they are the work of your fingertips. Fingertips. You know, last night, I'm sitting out on the porch, or on the front porch, reading a book. And I have a drink with me, and I'm not looking, and I reach for my glass, and I pick up the glass, and I do this, and there's this foreign texture that's not supposed to come into your mouth with liquid. It's a a gnat. 
And I did the thing, you know, I swallowed the liquid, but, you know, kind of pinned the nap to the roof of my mouth with my tongue to hold it. And then I reached in with the tips of my fingers and I went, dead. Meet your maker. That is how God is able to look at the perils of the moon and the perils of the sun and the perils of marauders and the perils of wild beasts and the perils associated with pandemics and job losses and crashing economies and premature death and overtaxed healthcare systems and so much uncertainty, God just takes it like a nap and goes Drops it to the ground, just like Icarus fell from the sun. How can God do this? How can, how can he defeat our problems? How did he? He defeated our problems by becoming defeated. Because bad things happen to a good person. That's capital G, that's capital P. Jesus contended with the distress of looking down. Remember, Jesus started in glory. Jesus is the maker of all things. And he left glory. He left his Father's right hand to walk among us, to become one of us, to give his life for many. He descended in humiliation. He was born to two poor teenagers. As a child, he was a refugee. As an adult, he experienced homelessness. As the Savior and King of the world, he was despised and rejected by men and women. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. His whole life was filled with humiliation, voluntary humiliation. But Jesus also had to contend with the distress of looking up. We look to the hills, and we see that the hills are worth the journey because warm, hospitable community is up there in the community of God. And God is up there, our, our, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. But Jesus looked up the hills, and there was no community up there waiting for him. In fact, there, were, there, was, a, there was a mob awaiting him at the top of the hill. There was no father's smile awaiting him up the hill, uh, at the top of the hill either. It was the father's distance, extreme, cosmic, social distance. My father was no longer the address Jesus used at Calvary. It was my God. Why have you forsaken me? The hill that Jesus had to climb was filled with wild beasts and with muggers. His foot was allowed to slip. He had no help. It seemed that maybe his father was slumbering and sleeping. He was not kept from evil, but was assaulted by evil. He was moonstruck. The moon struck him by night. Remember, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And the sun struck him by day. He's crucified in the blistering sun at the top of that hill. He cries out, I thirst. And they didn't bring him Kool-Aid or lemonade or... Black Abbey Rose, K 
Camus. No, they brought him vinegar. They brought him vinegar. And then they drew blood. What's the result of this? The result of all of this is that good things can now happen to people who aren't good. You know, Russ Ramsey, pastor of our Cool Springs uh, congregation, and I, we have a long history together. We, we served, actually, uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago together in Kansas City. We're pastors on the same staff. And in our presbytery, the presbytery is like the group of pastors and church elders in the same region. There was this guy uh, that everybody knew as the grumpy pastor. He's just grumpy. And like he's like he carried his grumpiness with him. And like we'd we'd be singing, we'd be doing a call to worship, and the, the words would be, The joy of the Lord is my strength. And he'd be like, The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, it was just like that. And the thing about him though is anytime you asked him how he was doing, his answer was standard. Better than I deserve. And one time, Russ and I were with an earshot, and we were right next to each other. We looked at each other. He said, he's got that right. He is better off than he deserved to be. And then we realized, wait a minute. So are we. It's our answer, too. Troubled by the world outside of us. Troubled by the world inside of us. You know, I, I saw a post on social media a couple of days ago about a new book that's supposedly releasing the book is called 2020. The author is Stephen King, and the producer of the film is going to be Quentin Tarantino. It's a little bit of a joke, but but not really. I mean, one of our one of our musicians, the CPC, Joe Gilder, wrote a song uh, in April, and the, the 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 first the first lines of the song are, "It's been a long, long year, and it's only April." We haven't even gotten to the midway point yet, you guys. We haven't even gotten there. We're in the hill. We're dealing with the heat of the sun, and we're dealing with the sorrows associated with the moon and the threats associated with the moon. And yet there is something inside of us that is as untouchable as a boat in a hurricane as long as water doesn't get inside. As long as despair doesn't get inside us, there's nothing that can touch us because he will hold our, us fast. He will hold us fast. For our Savior loves us so. He will hold us fast. So we're, we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And uh, this is the meal of Christ where he offers his body and his blood so that we can live. It's interesting that when Jesus talked about his own body. He called his own body the temple. Which, among other things, means we don't have to climb a dangerous hill anymore to get to him. It's right here. The temple is right here. This piece of bread is the temple, the body of Christ, given for you, and the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, so you don't have to make the journey up the hill that he made. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for the act of defiance it is to show up honest, 
and hopeful. All bought for us by bad things that happened to a good person. Jesus, thank you for being good so that we can be better off than we deserve at all times. It's in your name we pray. Amen.